Welcome to the Different Functional Podcast. I am Autumn, the older sister. And my fact of the day is that I have a lot of issues with chords. I'm sure this is like a human thing and everybody thing. I don't know. But if I have a chord, it will have three knots in it, even if I do nothing. If I have two chords, they will be united into one merged like HDMI headphone cable cord unit boa constrictor worm ball thing it used to be so bad that it would get like also tangled like around my office chair i got accused of throwing chairs because i was trying to untangle a cord and threw a chair across the room and i was just trying to get it yeah cords <laughs> cords and me no not good there's that hulk strength coming back from the last episode too <laughs> Just like hulking your way out of all of your problems. You just get frustrated and destroy things, I guess. Well, that was, it was like part of the course. It was a really stressful job too. And so everybody was like, calm down, Autumn, calm down. And I'm like, I'm not upset. I wasn't really throwing the chair. And they're like, you're upset. And I'm like, oh, I wasn't upset until you kept accusing me. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm upset. Shut up. Stop talking down to me. This is patronizing. No, do do you also have that with chains, like uh, necklace chains, and just like any any sort of chain that can get knotted up? Because every chain I've ever owned has like thirty knots in it, and I'm like, how did that happen? It it, it could be around my neck forever, and somehow it's just like one day I'm like, why am I choking? Oh, there's like fifty <laughs> knots in this thing. How the hell did that happen? How does that occur while it's on me? I don't. I don't know. get it. I have bad luck with chains, even more so than cords. It does anything like that. The ropes, uh, electrical cords, chains, I- anything like that. Yeah, I, I suck at them. I don't know if there's like some trick that people aren't showing me. I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things you were supposed to learn in your childhood that we weren't taught because our childhood was kind of shitty. <laughs> like it was like, you know, cord and long item management 101 and we just missed out on that. I don't know. <laughs> somehow, somehow I doubt it. I don't think that's a thing. I imagine most people have a problem with cords, which is probably why so many people like all things to be cordless at some point. It's like infiltrating our society, cordless everything, because everybody has that problem. Cords make everybody feel inept. I think that's what it is. Anyway, I am Ivy, the younger sister. And my fact of the day is that I have been having some weird glitch in the matrix moments the last few weeks. So like earlier today, for example, Autumn and I took a break from doing our notes for the the episode so that we could both go pee. I walk into the bathroom to go pee and all of a sudden... From the parking lot, I hear this obnoxiously loud ice cream truck playing Christmas music. And then somebody starts knocking on my on my apartment door. And I'm like, okay, what the fuck? So at first I'm like thinking it's delivery. I'm like, okay, this this obnoxiously loud ice cream truck is one thing, but why won't they just leave the package at the door? So then I go over after I finish peeing, because I'm doing that first. That's that's a necessity. So I go to the door and I look through the people and there's some dude standing out there in a suit. And I swear he knows I'm standing by the door because he looks directly at my people and waves <laughs> at it. And I'm like, well, that's creepy. I'm like, okay. Um, all right. Well, I open the door because I'm like, maybe he's with the apartment complex. The dude's wearing a suit. And then when I open the door, he says, Hi there. I'm just, we're going around the neighborhood talking to people about the Bible. Do you believe in the Bible, ma'am? And I was like, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And then I closed the door and came back to the computer. But it was just weird because everything was normal. Autumn and I were having a normal conversation. We were getting shit done. I, I 
get up from my desk to go pee and there's a weird glitch in the matrix and suddenly there's ice cream trucks playing Christmas music and the Jehovah's witnesses are trying to convert me. It's just, it's just weird. Like, what the fuck? Why those two, com- those, those two things in combination specifically too? No, it, like, and why is the ice cream truck playing Christmas music? It's July. Why am I listening to ice cream truck MIDI version of uh, again, silent night? What the hell? I think somebody pressed the religion button in your life just to see what it'd do. Just like, let's press that. Let's see what happens. And, you know, it was obnoxiously loud because I also went to go pee. I heard it through my headphones that were still laying on the tabletop halfway back. And I am like, did her phone go off? Did she leave it right by her microphone or something? No, it's the fucking, I was like, she has a weird ringtone. And then I see somebody's at the door and I'm like, she has a really horrible doorbell. And then she's like, no, it's a fucking ice cream truck. And I'm like, how is it that loud? Is it like literally outside your door? I know. No, and the, the crazy thing is, is we're, we're three stories up. We're three stories up, but the, we are like at a weird cul-de-sac-like thing in the apartment complex. And every year when the ice cream truck starts coming, it'll come and drive through the parking lot. And because we're at this cul-de-sac spot and there's lots of kids in these two buildings, it'll sit there with its, its music on for like five, 10 minutes before it moves on. Cause it's waiting for, it's like trying to lure the children from our building out to buy ice cream. And I'm like, can't you lure them somewhere else? This is really loud and annoying to me. Like it's, and it's happened at so many inopportune times. It's happened when I've had clients here, like trying to give them a massage. And then all of a sudden, like pop goes, the weasel is playing in the background. It's happened while I've been in therapy with, like, if I'm like in therapy, we're doing inner child work, and I've got like my eyes closed, and I'm crying, and they're stopped coming down, and then there's like, again, pop goes the weasel, or wheels on the bus. Like pop goes the weasel is the more is the most common one, which is like, okay, that made it even weirder today, because what happened to pop goes the weasel? Why is it silent night? Did the Jehovah's Witness, did, did he like team up with the ice cream truck guy? Is that what's going on? Maybe like, it's I, not the ice cream truck. Maybe know. it's like I'm the Jehovah's confused. Witness truck. Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> maybe, maybe it is. And instead of, uh, instead of uh, ice cream, it's like, what is it? The watchtower or whatever. <laughs> Which for whatever reason sounds very, I don't know, ominous. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be. It does. It sounds it sounds like you're being spied on <laughs> just a little bit especially when you combine it with the fact of like luring ice cream truck children with the jehovah's witness it's just kind of a like a very yeah it sounds it's yeah, very ominous it's just, it's just weird it really it really felt like like lately in general because i've been having tons of weird moments like that it feels like i am part of a sims game and whoever is controlling my sims game the last few weeks is not my usual person and this person just wants to do the most outrageous shit possible just to see if they can just to see if the game allows them to that's what it feels like the ice cream truck with the christmas music and the jehovah's witness that's that's a new one that one might top all of the other weird experiences the last few weeks i i can't wait to see what comes next before you know it i'm gonna see like a centaur walking through the parking lot eating ice cream from the ice cream truck while reading a watchtower <laughs> yes yeah, exactly. So I feel like none of this has anything to do with our topic of the day. Like I'm, I'm sitting here like going like, okay, is there segue? No, there's no segue. There's no segue. Do you have any segue for our topic of the day from what we discussed? 
not unless you want to make the Jehovah's Witness dude or the ice cream truck guy or the centaur part of your tribe. <laughs> there we go. Because <laughs> today we're talking about building your own support network. So there we go. I'm going to make the Jehovah's Witness, the ice cream truck guy, and the centaur all be my friends. Okay, well, I'm calling on the centaur. You can have the ice cream truck guy and the... Uh... Jehovah's Witness. I'm claiming centaur. Um, yes, our topic of the day well, is what? That's bullshit. They all popped up in my world. So that's bullshit. They all popped up in my world. Get your own. Damn it. Fine. I'll find my own centaur. Okay, so today's topic of the day, um, not actually centaur related, is essentially how to build a support system. And we're not talking about professional support system and therapists and all that, you know, structured stuff we're just talking about friends acquaintances people you can call to help you move because i think it's hard you know especially with all the remote stuff we've done lately the world you know being on fire and falling apart and then you add on to it you know mental health issues or if you're like me you know the neurodivergence and autism and difficulty with social communication anyways and it's a daunting task because we all do need support. And I think a lot of us want support and we want friends and we want to hang out. But how do you even do that? And, you know, and I'm going to be really honest with you. You know, Ivy and I are doing these notes and I'm going to tell you, this is not, you know, my lived experience so much that we're talking about. This is my alien observation of the human race and what they appear to do. So there is going to be some of this in here that is me, but a lot of this is kind of my alien observation of what the humans do. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to preface that just so y'all know right now. So if you hear something, you're like, that is blatantly inaccurate. That was because I did not understand the local custom and interpreted it wrong. That's probably what happened. Yeah. I mean, I'm not particularly an authority on this either because I don't generally make an active effort to speak to other people. In fact, I am often surprised when other humans speak to me. You know, there's like that 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 joke out there, people approach me, I just look at them and say, you can see me? And I feel like that's me all the time. Like people approach me and I'm like, huh, I didn't even know that you other people knew I existed. That's interesting. Okay, I will talk to you, random person. That's that's what all social interactions are for me because I don't go out of my way to speak to other human beings. But yes, these are like our observations of what goes into you know just building a support network. Or if you are witchy in nature, you can think of it as like building your own coven, which sounds I think pretty cool. <laughs> I, I think when uh, when you're listening to this episode, pretty much put in whatever word you want. Because I think different words mean different things to different people. Because like I have one friend that does not like how often tribe is used now because she views it as kind of cultural appropriation, which I had not really thought about until she said that. And then I'm like, well, that shows how very white I am that I did not even consider that. So I think like while you're listening to this, just just implant whatever word works for you that you feel comfortable with and that feels like the right description for you. I'm I'm going to go with coven just because I think coven <laughs> sounds cool, but I'm going to build my coven. We'll take over the world. <laughs> I don't know why, but I see a whole bunch of people in cloaks with hawks. I'm not sure why that comes to mind with your coven, but yeah, that's what I'm seeing, Ivy, just so you know. Okay. You can, you can imagine it however you want. That's that's the glory of it. You can imagine my coven being whatever you want to imagine it as. That's not how I see it, but you can see it however you want to. Well, okay. So let's actually start with that point. I think, especially for those of us to whom 
support network or friendship building does not come naturally. I think you do have to take a somewhat more scientific approach to it. And I think that is the beginning is getting an idea or a vision of what you even want. You know, obviously the hot coven isn't Ivy's vision. That's mine. So maybe that's what I need to work towards. But I do think that's the start of it because if this doesn't come naturally to you, you are going to have to put effort into it. And so you want to ensure you get that, I hate the term, but that return on investment, that the effort you're investing, that the resources you're investing are going to get you something you actually want or need. So for me, the very first thing I really do when I'm looking at, you know, do I want to include this person as a friend or what do I want out of a support network? I start looking at what do I need or what do I want? You know, what kind of support am I looking for? What kind of connection am I looking for? Am I hoping for somebody I can just hang out with? Or am I hoping for somebody that's going to help me move? Or am I looking for somebody that can, you know, I can call on the phone at 2am. But I think that's a really important place to start is getting a vision or an idea of what you want out of this unit of support that you're building. Society almost pushes this idea that looking for what you want or what you need is almost selfish and that every interaction we go into should be one that we approach with a, with pure altruism. But I think that's also a bullshit thing that, that society portrays as being ideal because the, the fact of the matter is, it's like every interaction that we have with another person or another living thing in general is an exchange. There is some degree of reciprocity that's going on there. So there's nothing wrong with looking for what it is that you need from your connections with other people and what you want from those connections and having open conversations with people as well about what it is that they need and what they want, because that's how you genuinely show care. It's not just making it all about the other person. It's, it's showing that you have an investment in having a real intimate connection where there is a real exchange and there is real reciprocity and both people feel supported in that dynamic. So I know like that's one of the things that I personally look for that I know I want in my relationships with other people, regardless of what type of relationship that is. And it is an exchange or a some degree of reciprocity where I feel like we both feel seen and we both feel cared for and we both feel as though we're important to that other person. So you do have to look at you know, multiple facets and what do you want in this area and what do you want with that person and not just trying to find this perfect fit of, well, I need a friend that's going to A through Z, maybe get a friend that can A, B, F, and Z, and then a friend that can C, D, you know what I mean? Just you mix and match with it because the perfect friend or the perfect mate or the perfect partner that's going to meet everything doesn't exist. So it's not just focusing on one relationship, but also focusing on that bigger idea of a network as a whole and like, what am I missing? What do I want? What kind of pieces would fit well? What kind of pieces would fit where? Where would I fit within this? Because you are creating that group dynamic. And so what part of the group are you going to play? Yeah. And I think looking at socialization like that, I, I think a better way to think of it is kind of like an ecosystem where there's this complex dynamic that exists and like, you'll be part of this group, but you won't be part of that group. And you will be this to this person and something else to this other person. And this person over here will fulfill, will fulfill this need for you. And then for this other need, you'll look to this person. And then it balances out a lot better because not only is it impossible 
more than likely anyway, to find one person to fulfill all of your needs. That's also a lot of pressure to put on one person and one relationship as well. It, it really is. And I think that's where you then have to really consider that there are multiple types of relationships. And I think a lot of us that when this doesn't come naturally to us, we kind of get caught up in that the idea of looking for that perfect fit or that perfect person or that perfect relationship. But relationships are a spectrum. There's so many types out there. You know, like I said earlier, you know, are you looking for someone to hang out with or somebody that you can learn a new hobby with or somebody that you can just have a nice fun night on the town and be distracted for a little while? Or are you looking for somebody that's going to bail you out of jail? There's a lot of different types of relationships out there. And so you really need to broaden your range and start looking at that. And there are, there are going to be times when one person can be the distraction and the bail you out of jail and the help you move. That's all possible. But you do kind of want to look at those different facets and those different relationships and be willing to break those up into more than one person. We can also look at different ways to communicate with people as well. So like I have people in my life that actually live close enough that I can go and hang out with them and do activities with them. But then I also have people that live super far away from me, but I'm really intimately close to them. Like I, my best friend lives in Canada, in Quebec. That's quite a ways away from me, but we interact all the time, primarily through text because we both have busy lives. But I feel like I have more of an intimate connection with her than I do with almost anybody else. So there's all of these different forms of communication. There's actually being in person and hanging out. You can text, you can email, you have social media, even if it's just you know commenting and liking people's posts, you can share videos back and forth, you can FaceTime. Like There's all of these different forms of communication that we have now. Now, that is one of the blessings of this modern era and all the tech that we have is it's really opened up all of these opportunities to both meet people we wouldn't normally get to meet and be able to maintain contact with people that in the past we might have drifted away from more easily. I honestly, I really like, and I know social media gets a bad rap, but I really enjoy what social media allows for because I am not the kind of person that's going to be calling most of my friends on a regular basis or talking to them or sending lengthy emails. I'm just not that person, but I do want to stay in contact with them and I want to be appraised of their life. And so I love Facebook or TikTok where you can like each other's videos or share a video or share a post on their wall or put a slight, small comment on one of their statuses because it's a really easy, low resource way for me to stay in touch with these people and for them to stay in touch with me while we're dealing with our other life stuff and not having to spend excessive amount of resources to maintain this relationship. And then every, you know, month or couple months, we have a little Facebook messenger chat or we email each other or we have something that's a little bit longer and in depth and it doesn't feel so disconnected. I don't feel like I've lost touch with them. Like I don't know what's happened for the past year because I've been appraised of it. So I know social media gets a bad rap, but I think in a lot of ways, it, it can actually help maintain the relationship. It may not be super in-depth. You shared a funny cat video with somebody, but it was a way to reach out, a way to say hi, and that person can receive the video because I get those from a friend or two, and I'm like, that's awesome. They were thinking of me. And sometimes I'm like, I have no understanding of what this video is at all. That must be about them. I don't know. But then it does give me encouragement yeah. to, to seek them out, right? You're like, I don't, what is this goat? Why is this happening? Um, the, one of the other things that I've really liked about social media 
that has been interesting to me, especially in recent months, because I've been struggling with a little bit more mental health stuff because of all the stress that I've been under. And I think a lot of people have. And so a lot of people are posting things on social media that are kind of more vulnerable and they are a little bit more intimate, even though they're expressing that to a, a wider audience of people, as it were. And these are not people that I'm super close with, or at least I haven't been close with them in a really long time. We don't talk on a regular basis. I haven't had a one-on-one interaction with them in a really long time. But I think social media, gives an opportunity as well for people to say, I'm having this vulnerable moment. This is what's going on with me. And you may still not get a one-on-one conversation with people, but what I do see a lot of is people reacting to those posts, liking them or sharing a little heart with them or making a comment on that post that lets that person know that they're cared for. And I know there's definitely been times when I've read something that maybe a childhood friend of mine has put on social media and I haven't spoken to them in years, but I feel what I can feel what they're going through. Cause I'm like, fuck, that's, I'm dealing with that too, you know, and I'll send him a comment and we'll kind of exchange a little bit back and forth in the comments. And is that a super deep, intimate relationship that just built there? Maybe not. But on that one point, we connected and I was able to show support for them and they were able to be seen and they, in their own way, showed support for me as well by having that interaction with me where it's like, yeah, it sucks that we're both in this, in the same place. Like, I'm sorry, you're going through this too. Like, I hope things get better for both of us. And I think even those kinds of connections, even though they're kind of casual and in passing, those people are still part of your network overall And I think social media really does give a good opportunity for people to have those little connections here and there as they're, you know, ships passing in the night that can still be meaningful in that moment. And I also think, though, that a lot of us that are older, because I am 40, and I think a lot of us that are older, 40 and up, we don't always understand that that's what it is. Like we feel like our friends aren't responding to us or they don't love us or they don't have enough interest in us. But really that is a valid way to show support and interest, I think. And so part of it is being aware of that and being able to receive it. When they do send the heart, they did stop on their scroll. They acknowledged you. They sent you a positive thought. Yes, it's not a deep conversation, but it was a valid moment of concern for them. And All of us, I feel right now, especially for most of us in in the U.S., are very overwhelmed with so many things that are happening that it's hard to find resources to reach out. So being able to not only give that kind of interaction, but to receive that interaction as how it was met, not as a write-off or an ignoring of it, but as a valid, I don't have a lot to offer right now, but I do want to acknowledge you. And, you know, when it comes to relationships, too, I also want to just touch on... I guess you'd call them known associates or people you have a shared history with, or especially those if you come from a traumatic background, people you have a shared trauma with, because I feel like there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons when you have that shared history or experience. So a lot of us, I notice this a lot in the Midwest, especially we develop these cliques of people we've known since preschool or middle school, and we never really look outside of that. And we always have the shared history. And there's this really awesome thing because you have this connection and you do have the shared history, but there can also be the con because you're kind of stuck in that dynamic of who they expect you to be and how 
their looping with you is pulling you into a certain behavior and it can be more difficult to change or you're not getting a more wide viewed perspective and what you're seeing is skewed because it's tinted by the way the entire clique looks at it because of the shared history. And so when you're looking at different types of relationships and you're thinking, you know, you know I have a pretty good support network. I feel pretty good. You might think about that too, is like, would it be nice to have somebody you don't have a shared history with that you can be somebody new with? I know an individual that I used to work with. She lived in this area for a long time. Her mom was in this area. Everybody kind of knew her. There were all these expectations around her. And last time I talked, she'd moved down um, somewhere in the Southwest. And I think she was working on a goat farm and she was so happy. And part of why she sounded so happy was because nobody knew her. And while a lot of us would see that as being, oh, that's so lonely. I don't have any friends now. She saw it as an opportunity to be whoever she wanted to be outside of the confines of expectations of who she had been or who her family was or what she had done in the past. She had this freedom to just be who she was now with all of that growth without the weight of expectations in the past. Obviously, she still wants to be close to her family and she still wants to be close to her friends. And there is you know, validity in that. But it is kind of like I said, that pro con, whether you stay with the individuals you have that shared history with, or you try to seek out somebody new that you can just be a different you with. I agree that it is really important to at least have that openness to new people coming into your life and the ability to form new connections over time. Because yeah, there is a lot of value in having people that you have shared history with or shared trauma with. If you have friends that have known you and known your family, they understand the context of a lot of things that a new person from the outside wouldn't. So it is valuable to have those people in your life. But I think an important part of growing as people is building that ecosystem in our socialization and meeting new people that have fresh perspectives or different backgrounds, different life experiences, and being able to build connections with those people. Because when you have that, that fresh perspective and that fresh look at things come in and you have these new opportunities to build new connections, you grow as a person and so does that that other individual. Because even though we, we do generally continue to grow throughout our lives, it is a lot easier to facilitate that growth when you do allow new experiences and people to come in. When you do take some risk, you know, you make friends with people that have not been part of your life forever. You branch out a little bit. Because I think another thing that tends to happen when we really stay confined to a particular group of people and we don't branch out of that is that our worldview can become very small. And we forget that other people might view things in a different way, or we don't think to expand our horizons and we get kind of stuck in the same ways of thinking in the same communities. And we just, we kind of get stuck in a rut and there's not a whole lot of opportunity to grow there. It's good to have those people in our lives that have been there for a long time and they've been loyal and they've been supportive and they understand us and they're, we have all the shared history and they they have a lot of context because they've been in our lives long enough to give us some guidance and direction, but it's equally important to branch out and meet new people so that you can grow in different ways as well. And when you're growing, that also gives you more to give into that click or that group. So when you do branch out and you meet somebody new or you join a different group or you're in somewhere you haven't been before, you get new information and you get new life lessons and you get new perspectives that can then be reflected back to those individuals you have the shared history with. And those sometimes those viewpoints and those epiphanies and those ideas can really help them as well. And so like Ivy said, it's that ecosystem balance. 
I think you also really need to think about what you want and what you don't want. Like what, what are you cool with and what are you not? Yeah. I cannot have anybody in my life who's, who loves practical jokes. I, I know there are plenty of people out there who they love it and they think it's fun and they play practical jokes on each other. And it's a, it's a grand old time for everybody. I had somebody in our family when I was growing up who played incredibly cruel practical jokes on me. All of them were cruel. All of them felt very extreme to me and almost all of them felt very traumatic for me because a lot of them were based around like making me think that they had died and letting me believe that for several minutes before they would, you know, be like, oh, I'm alive. It's fine, whatever. And then they would get mad at me because I was upset. So they would pretend to be dead for like a half hour and I'm four, I don't know any better. And then they would come back to life and I would be crying and upset. And then, then they'd get angry at me for not being able to take a joke. So that left such an imprint on me. I cannot stand practical jokes. They're not funny to me. They never come to, from a good space in my mind. They're cruel. They're meant to humiliate. They're meant to do harm. That is what practical jokes feel like to me. Do I have enough logical reasoning and analytical ability to understand that not everybody views it that way? Yes, absolutely. But that is so deeply triggering for me that it not only makes me feel enraged and often will make me break down into tears, but it also makes me feel like I can never trust you again, ever. Like I cannot trust you, especially if I've told you I can't do, I can't handle practical jokes and you do it anyway my feelings for you at that point, I'm like, well, that's something died there because that is such a deeply imprinted trauma for me. And if you can't respect that, then I, I cannot be friends with you. Like that's, that's one of the things that's been a little bit hard for Calvin because he was in the military for such a long time. And those guys always play practical jokes on each other. That's such a common thing in the military. But I was very upfront with Calvin in the very beginning when we first started seeing each other that that's a no-go for me. I, I can't do it. That's That could be a relationship ender for me. And it's hard for him because he there's all these opportunities he sees where he's like, oh, I really want to play this joke on you, but I'm not going to do it because I love you. And I'm like, thank you. That's all I'm asking for. You can play practical jokes with your other buddies all day long if you want. I don't care. I know I'm not capable of handling that. So I can't have friendships with people who feel like this compulsion to pr play practical jokes because I'm, I'm not going to be cool with it. And maybe that's extreme, but I also just know that's part of me and I'm not willing to work on it. Cause I don't see the point. Cause I look at practical jokes and I'm like, that's kind of being an asshole for no reason. Sorry. If you're into that, it's not my thing. No, I, it, it is something you need to figure out though. Like what you can and can't handle because you don't want to get into a relationship and then just constantly be upset because that's where resentment builds. Even if it's just an acquaintanceship where you guys have coffee every now and again, if it's not something you want and it's not something you're capable of handling in your life, don't get yourself in a situation where you're stuck with it. And I think that also goes into, you know, general personality, beliefs, preferred activities, all of that. But you again, you also have to see that through the perspective of what kind of relationship are you going to be having with that person? When you're identifying what you do and you don't want, consider also that spectrum of the relationship. Maybe you really like this person, but they have a belief you don't agree with. Well, what kind of level of a relationship could you have? even if they maintain that belief. I think another thing to really look at here is, is expectations, particularly when it comes to availability, accessibility, and like the frequency of when you're going to see each other. Cause like, this is something that I've noticed a lot, both in my life and the lives of other people. One of the, the biggest things that I've noticed that has caused misunderstandings and friendship fallouts is that some people 
when they're having a really hard time, I tend to be one of these people when they're having a really hard time, they drop off the map. They kind of disappear for a bit while they get themselves together. But then there's other people that that's very triggering to them because it makes them feel like, oh, you don't actually care about me. You're not there for me. You don't trust me enough to let me be there for you. And so that can cause a real rift in a relationship. So that's another thing to consider when you're looking at what you do and don't want in a relationship is how often do you need to see this person? How deep of a connection do you feel like you need to have with this person? Is it going to really bother you if this is somebody who drops off the map? Or is it going to bother you if you end up perceiving this person to be needy because you need to drop off the map, but they still want to be in contact with you when you can't handle it. So that's another one of those things I think it's really important to look at because that's such a common theme that I've seen in my life and the lives of other people around me is that really common misunderstanding and differences in expectations of what this relationship actually looks like as far as you know, day-to-day experiences. How much time do we spend together? What kinds of things do we do together? How much trust is there? How much intimacy is there? And how much is it going to bother you if I need your attention a little bit more or if I need you to give me space? I think that's a really important one to look at that I don't think very many people think about until they're in that moment. And then once you're in that moment, it's really hard to clear up misunderstandings because that person who needs space may not even respond to your text because they don't have it in them to do it. And then you feel even more hurt. So that's something to consider from the get-go. Again, those expectations are a two-way street because these these relationships are reciprocal. And so it's not just what does the other person expect from you, or it's not just what do you expect from the other person, but it's what is expected both ways and what is expected of the relationship itself. I think it's also important, and I know we keep talking about planning and like before you even start, but I, I feel like, again, when this doesn't come natural to you, it does take a lot of planning because it's not something that's natural. It's not an innate thing where you can just go out and connect with another human being over a a latte and everything's perfect for you. If you're like me and you struggle, especially if you're on the autistic spectrum, it's really hard knowing how to connect. And so that's why we're talking a lot about the beforehand and putting some thought into it and considering that. And I think it's even good for neurotypical people too, though, because I think we do get caught up in these societal expectations or these genetic drives that just don't match our reality anymore. So I do think putting a lot of thought into relationships, especially if you're hoping these people are going to be significant supports in your life, is is a valid and very good idea. Another reason why it's good to put some thought into these things, especially if you have had a history of forming unhealthy connections to other people or having other people come into your life and just kind of like forcing their way in and you've been pretty passive about it, If you have had a pattern of that going on, putting some real thought into what you're looking for in your friendships and your close connections or your casual connections or whatever, and building, figuring out those expectations you have in your own mind and figuring out what it is that you actually want can also help you avoid some potentially toxic relationships as well. Because a lot of times, especially if you have a hard time going out there and initiating conversations like Autumn does or like I do, if that's difficult for you, it might be tempting to just, okay, well, I guess whoever comes into my life is my friend now. And that's not always healthy for you. So figuring out in advance what it is that is important to you, what you do want, what you don't want, what you can and can't handle, what you actually expect from your relationships and what types of relationships you want to have. I think that can help you avoid some potential pitfalls 
and keep you from falling into some toxic and negative patterns and relationships, particularly if you've had a history of connecting with people that have not been good for you. I think that's a really valid point because a lot of time we talk about toxic relationships or this relationship is no good for you, but we really focus on that idea of, you know, a family relationship or a romantic relationship and people aren't looking at friendships in that way. But the reality is, is friendships can be just as, and sometimes more important than some of these other relationships. And so if that friendship is toxic or you have that history of toxic friendships, that can impede your ability to grow, that can impede your ability to feel safe, that can impede so many things just as much as if it was a toxic family member or a toxic boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, spouse, however you want to put it. So I think that's a really valid point. So before you you even get out there too, another thing you need to consider is what do you have to offer to other people? So again, we talked about how relationships are reciprocal, right? And we've talked a lot about, well, what do we want from the other person? And what are we thinking about the other person? Well, what do you have to offer? We all have talents and we all have strengths and we all have super awesome points and we have something to give to other people. And I think it's important to identify that so that when you go into that relationship, you don't, as Ivy said, feel like you just have to accept anybody because you're not good enough or you don't have anything they'd want. This may be something you actually have to think about because, for example, with me, I analyze all the time. You know, with my trauma history and being on the spectrum, I've learned to analyze all these situations and break down emotions and all that. And to me, that's just second nature. That's what I do. I didn't think it was a valuable asset at all. Yet some of the friends I've formed recently find that extremely valuable because that's not a talent they've had to foster. It's not something they've ever had to create. And they've been able to take those lessons and apply them further into their life. And they go, oh, my God, you're right. When I do this, it's linked back to that. And if I wanted to change this and not have it being a repeating pattern, I could do this. And I never sat down and talked with them about it. I just offered a glib explanation based on what I saw. But that was a strength I had that was extremely useful to them. And I never saw it as a strength. I just thought it as something I did. And so I do think it is something you got to think about, like, what am I strong at? Because a lot of us, we just don't see it because it's just part of who we are. You really need to look at your strengths and then uh, things that maybe you're not so good at too, because that's going to be important in developing different kinds of connections as well. Like I know for me, one of the biggest strengths that I have in friendships that and I, I know this primarily because it's been said to me so many times is that when people talk to me, no matter what it is that they're going through or what it is that they're saying, like, I am so non-judgmental because I'm like, yeah, that's what you're going through. It's what you're experiencing. It's what you're feeling. Those things are valid. I get it. That sucks. Like I'm, I'm not judgmental of their experience or their perspective of it. I will you know, offer different perspectives, but I'm not invalidating at any point and I'm not judgmental of that. And that's what people have been mostly drawn to in me. And also like, I'm really, really loyal. Once I am connected to you, I am always in your corner. Even if I disagree with you, I am always in your corner in some way, shape or form. But one thing that's never been said about me, no one has ever told me I'm an awesome listener because I'm not. And I know that's a weakness that I have. Part of it's because I don't talk to people a whole lot. So then when I get an opportunity to talk to people, I end up talking too much. And sometimes I overshare and then I have all this social anxiety and then that compels me to talk even further. And I am not a great listener. I know this about myself. I've been working on it. I suck at it, especially when I'm nervous or I'm stressed out or whatever. So like, that's another thing that I always think about too, 
is like when somebody in my life comes to me and they just need somebody to listen. There are times when I'm like, I love you. And because I love you, I want you to get what you need. And I probably am not going to be able to give you what you need right now because that is not my strength. If you want advice, if you want me to be not judgmental, if you want me to validate, I can do that. I'm not so great at just sitting down and shutting up and listening and just listening intently. I'm bad at that. So I think that's one of those things to think about when you're thinking about, okay, what do I have to offer? Also think about, okay, what things maybe do I have room for improvement on that I should work on? And that maybe when I'm communicating with these people in my life, I can give them reasonable expectations of what they will also get from me. And that's another reason why communication is so important, regardless of what type of relationship that you have, because those are important conversations to have with people. So yeah, definitely look at your strengths and then also consider the things, okay, what what could I work on some? And maybe what could I learn from that person? Because I have friends that are really good listeners and I'm trying to learn from them by observing them and what they do. Cause I really suck at that. It's, it's not, it's not my thing right now. It is not something I'm particularly capable of giving. And I think that's the next point that we should talk about is what are we actually capable of offering? I think that's an extremely important one, especially for me, because I am, I am very stingy with my resources, whether that be money, whether that be time, sometimes even I think whether that be love to a lot of people, I am very, very stingy. I'm not willing to give a lot to others. And so I really have to consider that when I go into a relationship is how much am I able to give? And not just how much am I able to give right now, but how much am I able to give at my worst? And what are they going to demand from me at that point? Because I go into depressive episodes. I've lost days at a time. Just this week, I've lost two days of my life to a migraine. I, I could barely get to the bathroom. I could barely feed myself. There's no me mentally supporting or helping somebody move during that time. If I had made an obligation, it would have been broken. And so I really have to consider what am I capable of offering this person, not just during the good times, but also at the bad times. And what are they going to be expecting? from me. And I think up and above that too, once you identify what you're capable of giving, I think it's also important to identify what you're willing to give because there's a difference between what you can do and what you will do. Because there are times where I could go help somebody move, but I don't want to. I want to sit on the couch and read, you know? <laughs> no, I, I agree with that. It's I've got the same thing too. I'm I don't know that I'm stingy with my resources overall, but there are some resources that I definitely am stingy with. And one of them is time. I'm very, very greedy with my time. I am somebody that likes a lot of alone time. I'm very introverted. I have a very low social quota. I will go, you know, maybe like three months and not see anybody. And then I'll hang out with like three or four people in a single week. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. That's all I need right now. So I know that most of the time, I more than likely am not willing to show up to people's parties. I've flat out told people before, I'm like, I appreciate that you want to include me and that you want me at your party. I am not a party person. And if I do show up, I probably won't be there for very long and I'll get overloaded really quickly. Could I show up? Yes. Is there much point in me showing up? Probably not. I probably won't contribute much and I probably won't enjoy being there. So am I capable? Yes. Am I willing? No. I also am 
very seldom the first person to volunteer to help somebody with anything. But on the flip side of that, if somebody important in my life calls me and they're in the middle of a crisis and they're like, I have to move out of my house right now because my landlord's an asshole or my my partner's abusive or whatever, I will be the first person to show up at their door. But I need to know it's a crisis first. You call me, you're like, I'm in crisis. I will be there. But if you are not in crisis, you know, like, I just need somebody to help me move this desk sometime this week. I'm not going to volunteer. I know this about me because I'm like, that's going to take time out of my day. And it's hot outside. And I don't want to move a desk or risk injuring myself carrying a desk up and down stairs. Well, I, I think that's part of it, too, though, because, you know, that may seem a little selfish on the, the top of that. But again, you take the heat. Both the Ivy and I have a lot of struggles with various body issues. The heat exacerbates that. So if she gets out there and gets sick from moving the desk or because she relies on her body as her job, she's a massage therapist, she injures her wrist, she may not be able to work for a while. So that is a lot to expect. That's a lot to risk to just help somebody out. And that's something you really need to consider. And that can go, you know, time and these abstract concepts, but, you know, can also be something more concrete. I guess if you want to call it concrete, like money, because some friends really want to hang out and go on trips and go shopping. And maybe you have the money, but you're trying to save for something, or maybe you don't have the money. So again, you know, all of those resources, you know, we've talked about before, your time, your emotional wherewithal, your money, your, your physical energy, all of those ideas you have to be considering of, you know, what can you give and what are you willing to? I, I think another thing to add to that, though, is skills. And I notice this a lot with Calvin because Calvin is one of the most versatile human beings I've ever met in my life. He has a wide variety of skills, which is brilliant and wonderful until he gets bogged down on the daily with friends of his that reach out to him being like, dude, can you help me with my car? Dude, can you help me fix this thing in my house? He's got so many skills and sometimes he gets overloaded because he has all of these friends that want his help. And while part of him would love to go and help everybody, he literally can't. There's not enough hours in the day. He doesn't have enough energy. So that's another thing to consider too is skills. Because when in a lot of friendships, you know, having having practical skills is a useful thing. I've had tons of friends who've come to me because they have body issues and they're like, you're a massage therapist, help. And I do, and it's great. But everybody has a limit and you need to be aware of what your limitations are on that front, both in terms of capability, but then also in terms of willingness and how much time is that going to take out of your life and how much time is that going to take you away from other people in your life? What are you actually capable of? What are you willing to offer and how much of your resources and your time that you could be spending with other people will be eaten up by this particular connection? I think that also speaks to the point of finding that balance on the spectrum as well, because a lot of us out there, we do now sell sell our skills as a service. And that is how we make our livelihood. Ivy is a massage therapist. That's how she pays the bills. So when somebody comes and says, hey, you know, can you help me with this body issue? Can you get me a massage or whatever that happens to be? You just asked her to do her job for free. And that's something we kind of need to respect in another person when they do have skills, especially if they're selling that skill. And that doesn't mean if you're the one with the skill that you just say no and you cut it off, because if you do want to give, but you also need to pay the bills and there's only so much time in the day, 
there are other options like, yeah, sure, I could do that for 20 bucks or you offer a discount or there is some reciprocity or quid pro quo that comes into that. That is not selfish. I think that's one of the the more propaganda things of our, our consumeristic culture that's put out there is that idea of reciprocity is somehow demanding. But really, that's just a barter system. So if somebody comes to Ivy and she says, you know, I, I want a massage, you know, and Ivy's like, well, I really need to get the pipes under my sink fixed. They can trade that. And that doesn't negate the friendship yeah. and it doesn't turn into a business. It just means both of them are now able to do something for each other and still be able to pay their bills. You know what I mean? So I think it's finding that spectrum and finding that balance as well. And I think Autumn's right about that being propaganda. And I kind of talked about that at the beginning of the show too, is this, it's this societal idea that all of our actions should be driven by altruism and self-sacrifice. And I'm sorry, but that's dumb because everything is an exchange. Everything is cause and effect. Every, every action has a consequence. The, everything is an exchange of some kind. Even if all you get out of something is just that warm, fuzzy feeling that you were there to help a friend, you got something out of it. So stop thinking of desiring reciprocity as being a selfish thing. Start thinking of everything being an exchange. And that's not a cold way to look at it. That's how good, meaningful relationships are built without resentment building as well in the background. It's when both people in that dynamic feel like they are both giving and receiving. That's how good relationships are built. Because otherwise, if all you're ever doing is, is giving, then you're being taken advantage of. That's not a reciprocal relationship. And that's not fair to you. Yeah, sometimes life isn't fair. I get that. But in your meaningful relationships with the people that you care about and you feel care about you, there should be some reciprocity. It should feel like an exchange. You shouldn't feel like you are being drained and the other person is giving it or is getting everything. And it shouldn't, you shouldn't be draining the other person either. It's supposed to be an exchange. That's what relationships are. That's what good, healthy relationships are. Up to now, we've done a lot of planning and a lot of thinking and a lot of examining and a lot of analyzing. Now, what about when you actually want to do this? So where do you go? What do you do? How does this look? These are all questions I only have vague answers to, to be honest. But, you know, again, this is this is my alien breakdown. Let's start with, you know, where do you find support? I've seen a few Instagram reels and TikTok videos out there that are talking about finding a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And why are you going to a bar to meet somebody as a romantic partner when you don't like the type of people that hang out at bars. And I think that's a really accurate assessment for any kind of relationship. If you're trying to meet friends at work, but you don't like the kind of people that have your job, maybe that's not the best place to work or not, not the, it's probably not the best place to work anyways, but <laughs> it may not be the best place to look for friends, you know? So try thinking about going where people you would like would be. Do you enjoy open mic nights or coffee houses or nature trails? Well, then go to those places. They do have open mic nights. You can attend those. They have groups. I think even in my little tiny itty bitty eastern Montana, fourth least populated state in the U.S., they have groups in this little town that I could attend. And these might be something I could be like, okay, yes, it starts as an interest. But if I'm interested in it and they're interested in it, this might be the kind of person I like. I'm not into loud music or drinking a lot or 
smoking pot or any of that. I don't have anything against it. It's just not my thing. So I'm probably not going to find a great connection when I go hang out at a bar. But if I enjoy the hell out of nature and foraging, and I can find a foraging community or a foraging group, and I go join them, there's a greater chance I'm going to find a connection there. So going places where people you would like would be. And I think another benefit to that is that if you are somebody with social anxiety who might struggle to talk to other people, if you're going someplace, especially if there's an activity involved, well, look, you already have somewhere to start a conversation. You don't have to smart start out with like the typical small talk. If you're going to a, this is not someplace I would ever go because I'm not interested in quilting, but if you're going to a quilting workshop, well, you can start talking about fabric or this particular stitch or whatever. I have a client of mine who loves quilting and she goes to all these workshops and she went from not really having any close connections to having lots of friends that she knows she now goes and visits and they go do other things together besides just quilting, but it started from there. So that's one of the other benefits to going someplace where you're likely to meet people that are more like-minded is that if there's a, an activity that you're all gathered around doing, you already have an icebreaker for conversation. And I think that's a really, really good benefit. And it's one that's not to be underestimated because I'll be honest, like I can't start conversations worth a shit. But when I'm at the gym, if somebody comes up to me and they start talking to me about weights or they ask me how to do this particular movement or you know, they just ask me what type of program I'm on, I'm like, oh, I know how to talk about this. I know things about this. Or if I don't know something about this, maybe they know and I can ask them. And that that can help a lot in being able to build connections. Like I've made a couple of friends at the gym that way. And people that I wouldn't probably have ever spoken to otherwise. Like actually, it surprises me how many elderly men I've made friends with at the gym because they just come up to me and start talking to me about something. Like they ask me about, you know, what, how many, how much weight I'm lifting. Or there's one who came up to me because he really liked my tattoo and he was so fascinated by it that he went home and he did some like research on Celtic goddesses because he thought my tattoo had to do with that. And then he came back to the gym and he was telling me about Celtic goddesses. And I'm like, that's awesome. I would never have come up and spoken to this person, but this guy seems really cool. So going someplace where you have some commonality or at least something to start from is a really, really awesome way to start making friends and building connections. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong, especially for those of us that struggle to have something that has a framework around it. You know, a group, a club, a meeting, sometimes even support groups. If you need a little more structure, there's a lot of support groups out there, even if you don't have them in your community online, that can provide you some structure. And maybe you start out with this particular support group and it's not quite where you want to make friends, but it can be a place that you can start practicing those skills and there is a framework and there's a set script and a set expectation. So you may go to the quilting class and you don't make any friends, but if you open up in that quilting class and you're able to use that as some practice and follow the script, you can then practice the skills you need to do this elsewhere. And I think also, like I said, there's support groups online. There's also a whole world online. Again, I say people undermine social media. People underline, what is that? The, the MMRPGs, the massive player online role-playing games like World of Warcraft and stuff. Yeah, And they seem to have really decent relationships. I mean, they may know them as an orc, but they're still getting social interaction. They're still getting some sort of support. And sometimes they open up and they talk about things. Or in some cases, they even use the game somewhat as a narrative to explore different connections and different possibilities. And, you know, even if it's not a game, 
Yeah. You know, if it is social media, I see a ton. I love the, the live TikToks. You go through the live TikToks and you see a ton of people that have repeat visitors. And I don't know that they've ever met. And I go on the live TikToks sometimes when I have time and my brain isn't hurting. And there's one one woman I think I, I love just being part of it. All she does is she sits there and read comments. But I love her vibe and I love how she is and how she acts. She's somebody out in Montana, I have no idea where, and I've commented a little bit back and forth with her as, you know, we go through the group. But even that little bit of connection, I'm getting something out of it because, you know, she acknowledged me and she was grateful for a particular comment I gave to her. And I was like, wow, you know, I gave her a little bit in her day and she gave a little bit in mine. And part of what I really get out of TikTok also is that sense of community because I am very much autistic in so many ways. And I'm also not gender typical. You know, I have the short hair. I dress like a boy. I'm not overly feminine, even though I identify as a woman. And these aren't communities I have available to me in my rural area. And so I feel like an outsider. But I go on TikTok and I feel like there are other humans out there like me. I feel like I belong. I used to be ashamed of how short my hair was, honestly, until I started being on TikTok more actively because I saw tons of women on there with my hair cut. A lot of us are stuck in areas where people aren't like us. Yeah, you don't have that physical connection, but I think you still can get a sense of community and a sense of connection over the interwebs. I think, too, that there's something to be said for how much less intimidating it can be to make friends online. I mean, yes, there's obviously downsides to social media. There's downsides to the internet. But on the flip side, for people that have have difficulty with social interactions, it is much less intimidating to make friends with people on social media where you're not face to face with them and you have more time to think about what it is that you want to say. And maybe you feel like you can talk about things to these people that maybe you don't feel comfortable talking about to people that you do see every day because they have some distance, they have some objectivity, they're not going to come back to the, you know, the person that maybe you're having a problem with in your day-to-day life and tell them what's going on. Like that's, there's a lot of uh, freedom, I think, in that as well. And like, like Autumn was talking about before with those online games, like maybe they only know that person as an orc. Well, I'm, I think that's actually pretty awesome because then that person doesn't even know what I look like. That's even less intimidating. They don't know that much about me. It's, you know, as far as like my day-to-day life and what I'm actually doing, if I don't choose to tell them, maybe it might not be so bad for people to think of me as an elf. That's cool. Like, I, I don't mind that at all. That actually feels pretty liberating and freeing because also I think too, like a lot of us, a lot of us can struggle in our day-to-day lives feeling confident in ourselves and feeling comfortable in our own bodies. That's definitely something I have issues with for a variety of reasons, And being able to interact with people on social media and through these games or whatever, that allows you to kind of, I don't want to say it's a a lie, because you can build meaningful connections with people that are based on real things, but removing some of those insecurities from the picture can do a whole lot for opening up doors for closer connections, because if I don't have to be worried about, you know, this person judging my weight, or if I don't have to worry about them judging this tick that I have where I play with my hair when I get nervous, then I can feel more free to talk to them 
in ways that I might not feel comfortable talking with people that I meet in my day-to-day life. It's a lot easier for me to have a conversation with somebody online than it is for me to have a conversation with somebody in the grocery store. That's just a fact. A lot of the people that I am really close to at this point in my life are people that I have met online. And those are very meaningful connections to me. And some of those people I've never met in person. And I don't feel like I need to, because that's not part of what our dynamic is. And it just doesn't feel necessary, which is another reason why it's so important to have a variety of different types of relationships and be able to have some separation and not think of one person as fulfilling all of your needs. Because there are so many different ways that you can have connections with people and meaningful relationships with people. It doesn't always have to be face-to-face, and the internet really has opened up a lot of avenues for people to connect that never would have existed in any other way. And that also helps us to grow and expand our horizons because I've made friends with people who are on the other side of the world. These are people I never would have met, people that I I don't understand really the way that they live their day-to-day lives, but I learn things all the time from them that it's just the way they live their life is different. Their perspectives are so different because they come from a different culture and they come from a different type of environment and they just live in such a different way. And it really makes me have to think about the things that I take for granted. That's another really valuable thing about the internet that I think we don't consider enough. I think so much attention and focus right now, at least in our culture is being put on the downsides of the internet that we forget to look at all of those those blessings that are there for us to take advantage of if we're willing to do it. And I think that's also why it's important to put so much thought into relationships before you start seeking them out, especially these strong supports, because you also need to develop realistic expectations, creating those expectations that are valid to the type of relationship and the venue through which you are seeking the relationship, I think is really important. And then Internet aside, I mean, there's other other places, you know, like a lot of people I've heard, they volunteer, they find a way to a group or an interest or something that gets them involved or activism or even campaigning or politics. All of those are ways to start building and it gives you that that joint interest, that joint point to talk about a starting place. So you're not just starting from blank because that can be really, really hard. And I think one of the other things you can do is reach out to people you've lost contact with. You know, that's a lot easier now on Facebook. And like we said, there is a lot of good things about somebody you've shared history with. And it can be really interesting, even if you don't re-friend with that person, just to see where they're at and to reflect on where you were then when you were their friend versus where you are now. Yeah, I've definitely seen the value of of reestablishing contact with people from the past. I, I think because I have been so nomadic for such a long time that I have just kind of accepted that not everybody's going to stay in your life forever. And some people will come and go in your life. And so I'm always open to the possibility of people from my past coming back. And some of these people I didn't speak to for years and years and years, you know, a, a more than a decade And then suddenly our paths reconverged. You know, we drifted apart because we were going in separate directions and we were developing different viewpoints and we were just becoming different people and that didn't mesh anymore. But then as we grew further and developed further as people and had more life experiences, well, those things brought us back together and now we're pretty close again. Uh, There's one person in particular who I had 
we were friends when we were kids. And then I had not interacted with her at all after I left our hometown. We just completely lost connection. We, you know, we were friends on social media, but we never really interacted or anything. And then over the last couple of years, I feel like I've formed another meaningful connection with her. We don't talk all the time, but we talk pretty frequently. And I feel like she's in my corner and very supportive of me and encouraging. And I feel like I've been that for her. And it's been really, really nice because this is somebody that I never would have thought that I would have had a, a friendship with again. It was just somebody that I had accepted, you know, like, well, not everybody's going to stay in your life forever. And it was cool while it lasted. And she was a cool person, but now we're different people and we've gone separate ways in life. I never would have imagined that we would have come back together and been able to relate so much and be so supportive of each other in these ways. So that's always something to leave the door open for. Like Autumn said, especially with social media being a thing now, we have the ability to reestablish connections with people that maybe we drifted apart from that now, as we are as people in our current life, maybe we actually have a lot in common. Maybe we actually can have a meaningful connection and be supportive of each other in ways that are unexpected. And before we leave the topic of where to find support, I do want to touch on one more thing, and that is thinking outside of the human box. If you're not an animal person, then this probably isn't going to be for you. But if you are an animal person, they can honestly offer a lot of support. This is especially true for individuals that have difficulty connecting with other humans and have difficulty getting that support. Because one of the nice things about animals is you can get that physical contact, which isn't always something you can get in our society, even if you are neurotypical from other humans. You know, it's not really a thing where you can just go up and hug randomly whoever you want. But animals are something that is more touchy-feely and you can get that physical connection which is an important part of being human and they can also offer a lot of support i'm a big believer that i loop with my animals i and they loop with me they don't always even have to be your animals you know like we've talked about before going to a, a dog park or volunteering at an animal shelter something along those lines animals I do feel are a valid source of support. I don't know how many times in my life I've been crying and devastated and the only person there for me has been a pet, a cat, or a dog, or at one point even a lizard. And I know that seems ridiculous, but that lizard being there for me meant a lot. And that may seem odd because lizards assumedly can't connect like, you know, mammals or however, but it meant something to me and that connection gave me something to help my life feel more fulfilled and to help me keep moving forward during a very difficult time. Yeah, because sometimes too, like human, being around humans can be really overwhelming, particularly if you're struggling. Animals, yes, there's, there's reciprocity there too, but it feels, to me at least, I, I feel less overwhelmed by the connections with animals. I'm able to be much more receptive to animals, regardless of the mental state that I'm in. I'm able to connect with them much more easily than I am with most other humans. So that's another thing too. If you're feeling a little too overwhelmed to even receive support from other people, maybe an animal is a, is a good option for you as well. All right, so let's move on from areas where you can find support 
and we'll start talking about what does it look like to actually start establishing a relationship. The first step, honestly, is just noticing the people around you. Because a lot of times we kind of go through the world on autopilot with our blinders on and we don't even notice what is around us. And too often we just expect things to come to us. And then we're like, I don't understand why things aren't coming to me. But we're missing out on a lot of opportunities because we're just not paying attention to what is around us. So just even noticing who's there. There you go. There's your first step to establishing a relationship. <laughs> Observing who is around you and being able to identify, trying to identify how, like, how many of these people might I actually be able to form a connection with? Because, like, if I see somebody doing something kind of weird, I that's usually to me, I'm like, huh, I might be able to be friends with that person. They're walking backwards down the sidewalk for no reason. I'm kind of curious about that. I feel like we could be friends. <laughs> I, I think noticing people around you also goes to not just the blinders and the autopilot, but being able to step outside of your anxiety long enough. And I think that's one of the reasons sometimes that framework, like we talked about that group or that club can be beneficial because I notice the other people around me as threats <laughs> is what happens because I, I right I'm, I'm in sensory overload I have a trauma history I feel like I don't have good social skills I know that I don't fit in and so I see these people and I get anxious and I'm worried about oh my god did I say something stupid or what if I did this and I think they're mad at me now and what I'm thinking about and what I'm focused on is my anxiety and not the people. And so finding a way or a venue in which you can actually notice and focus on the other individuals, whatever that may be. And that may even be starting with people watching where you're not interacting at all. Like Ivy said, somebody's walking backwards down the sidewalk. Well, maybe you notice that at a cafe and you start practicing just even being around humans and not feeling threatened and not feeling overwhelmed. Because noticing other people is really hard to do when you're terrified, when your adrenals are telling you that you're, you know, going to die or your mind's telling you you're a freaking idiot. It's really hard to listen or notice or be aware of another human being. I, I think another thing to look at, and I have been very bad about this in the past. I'm trying to get better about it, but I'm probably still bad about it is not making snap judgments about the people around you and just automatically assuming there's no way you could be friends with that person. Because I am so greedy with my time and stingy with my resources that, and, and I don't need much social interaction. So a lot of times I see the people around me and I just automatically assume based on my observations that there's no way that we would ever become friends. And a prime example of that is there was a place that I was working at and there was one person there that I, I guess wanted to be friends with me or at least wanted me to interact with them. And I don't talk to people at work generally. That's not a thing that I do. And I, it never occurred to me to become friends with her because when I would overhear her conversations with other people, she would be talking about like the reality TV shows that she was watching and things like that. And I'm like, well, I don't watch reality TV shows. So I won't be friends with her because all I ever hear her talk about are these things that I have zero interest in and she seems boring to me. And so I was making these snap judgments about her based on conversations that I was overhearing. And then later when we finally did start talking, I realized, oh, this person is actually very interesting and we do have a lot of things in common and she has a, a complex trauma history too, but she deals with it differently than I do. And I was assuming, 
not going to lie. I was assuming she was vapid and superficial. She was not, not at all, but she didn't talk openly about her trauma. She didn't talk openly about her mental health stuff. That wasn't her way of dealing with it. But when we actually started communicating, I was like, wow, we actually have a lot in common and you have been through a lot, but we dealt with things so differently that I just made a snap judgment that she was vapid and superficial and we wouldn't be able to be friends because I didn't watch reality TV show and I didn't care about shopping. So that's another thing to consider when you're noticing the people around you, try not to make snap judgments because just because you see somebody that you think, oh, there's no way would have any, that we would have anything in common, that's not necessarily true. You may find that that person has a lot of things in common with you that just aren't visible on the surface. For as non-judgmental as I am in conversations with people about what they're going through, I can be quite the ass about judging people before, <laughs> before I meet them. It is a weakness I have. It's definitely a weakness I have. It's one of the social issues that I, that I have for sure that I need to work on is that I can be kind of a dick in assuming that people are boring and vapid, apparently. I, I am very judgy, too. And I think also that goes the other way of not necessarily assuming people are judging you. Yeah. I don't know if it's an autism thing, if it's a human thing, but a lot of times I feel still like an adolescent, like everybody's staring at me and everybody's making judgments about me because that's how you feel during adolescence. Well, I never grew out of that. And so a lot of times I've been afraid to open up or say anything to anybody because, oh, they're not going to like me. They think I'm crazy. They think this, they think that. I, I was fucking astounded because one of my supervisors at the the previous job I had we were talking about that and she's something came up and she's like, oh, you always look so put together. Like you have all of your shit in a row, you know, all your ducks in a row and all your shit together. And you really look like you've got it together. And I was like, really? <laughs> because I feel insane. I feel like a shit show. I feel like a dumpster yeah. fire. And so I had never really talked with her much because she seemed really nice and normal and loving. And I didn't want to tarnish her life. I didn't want to fuck it up. She seemed to have a really good thing going and I yeah. didn't want to be the bad thing. And I assumed she thought I was crazy. And so I wasn't going to even attempt that rejection. That's not how she saw me at all. So apparently oh, yeah. it goes both ways. Don't no. judge and don't assume you're being judged. I'm, I'm guilty of that too. Because even though I can be judgy of other people, I'm like four times as judgy as my of myself. I don't know why I went four times, but anyway, I'm way more <laughs> judgy of myself than I am of other people because my automatic assumption is that nobody will like me. So like, I'm not going to talk to you because you're not going to like me anyway. I'm garbage. Why would you want to speak to me? And then when people seem to like me or, or if they put in a lot of effort into forming a connection with me or trying to talk to me. I'm like, but why are you doing this? I am trash. I am not worth your time. Why are you attempting to speak to me? Like, I think I've told this story once before in a previous episode, but Calvin teases me all the time because the night that we met, he tried to approach me four times and he thought I was rejecting him and being kind of a bitch because I didn't even acknowledge his existence. He was like, oh, she must really not like me. And the friend that I was there with, she knew I was attracted to him. So while I was in the bathroom, she went up to him and was like, my friend thinks you're really cute. You need to talk to her. And he's like, no, I, I tried to like four times. She's not interested. And Viola straight up told her, she was like, no, she's stupid. Like <laughs> she, I guarantee she doesn't know you tried to talk to her. She's really stupid with social things. She's she's wonderful and brilliant and sweet, but she's very stupid with social things. I guarantee she doesn't even know you tried to talk to her. And I came out of the bathroom 
And he starts talking to me and in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is nice. Cause I was attracted to him and I'd been looking at him like out of the corner of my eye all night. And then if he would glance over my direction, I would look away. Cause I'm like, oh my God, he's going to think I'm creepy. Like I'm, I'm disgusting and gross. I am like a, a cancer on this planet. Like he's going to be so grossed out that I'm even looking his direction. So yeah, that he teases me now for how much I rejected him the night that we met because the first four times he spoke to me, I just assumed he would not be interested at all. So I didn't even hear him speak to me because I was so busy trying to not look like I was looking at him. That's how bad it is. I am that judgmental of myself. I'm, just like, I'm such trash. No, nobody will ever want to be near me. I am leprous and disgusting. You know, the sad thing is, is that even if you don't feel that way, even if you're not down on yourself, if you're on the spectrum, if you're neurodivergent, if you came from a really isolated background, you may not understand the cues people are laying down. So even if Ivy had been cool and was like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. That dude would love me. He could have come over four times and she may not have understood that was an initiation of a conversation because you don't (laughs) get that. If you don't make it objectively clear, I don't understand it. And so there's been so many times I've had to be, I've literally asked people like, well, why are you talking to me? Are you interested in pursuing a friendship? <laughs> and I've just been fucking honest because I don't know. And I think that goes into that next step is letting people know you're interested. So you notice them and you're like, I think I would like to talk to this person that's really hot at the bar or that's walking backwards down the sidewalk. Well, now you have to let the person know you're interested <laughs> and you have to open your face. And I know that's really, really, really scary for us. But especially if this is somebody that is going to, we're wanting to, to have a real relationship with or something meaningful or a good friendship, be authentic. You fall on your face, you look like an idiot, you look like a creep. Oh, well, then apparently they weren't going to be a good fit anyway and you have a few minutes of embarrassment. But if you can find a way to open your mouth, it's okay if you're awkward and it's okay if you're embarrassing or it's okay if you're blunt. Because that's who you are. And if you build that relationship and you start it out with a mask and pretending to be somebody else, are you ever going to be able to take that mask off? Because we tend to get into those ruts where we're just like, well, this is the who the person likes, not me. And I'm afraid to now be myself. And especially when you get further in, that rejection hurts all the much more. So be authentic. It's an acquaintanceship and somebody you're just working with at work that you occasionally want to get a latte with. Sure, keep your mask on. But if you're hoping for something significant or magnificent, drop the mask. Just try it. (laughs) Suffer a couple minutes of embarrassment. Leave the bar if you have to. Pay your tab before you do it so you can just exit stage left if it blows and never go to that bar again. An important thing to consider here too is that the reality is... Not everybody is going to like you. And I had a hard time with that for a really long time. And sometimes I still have a hard time with it. But it's one of the most valuable lessons that I have been learning being with Calvin is that it's no matter what type of interaction it is, whether you're seeking something romantic, you're seeking a friendship, or it's a numbers game. Not everybody is going to like you. And that's okay. Like that's one of the things that I admired about Calvin early on is that he'll talk to anybody. And yeah, not everybody likes him. And he's just like, okay. (laughs) And he moves on and it's not, it's not a big moment for him. Whereas for me in the past, if I felt like somebody didn't like me, I would rack my brain about it. And then I would feel like really awful. And I'm like, well, they obviously don't like me because I'm horrible and I'm trash and they see it even when other people can't. And I would really take it personally and it would really, really hurt. And I'm finally now getting to a point where it's like, okay, just, it's just a fact. 
not everybody's going to like me. I am not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And not everybody is mine either. Not everybody's going to like you. And you're not going to like everybody that you encounter. And that is okay. Not every time you interact with somebody will a meaningful connection be formed. It's fine. And, and with that, I also want to point out that for a lot of us that came from a trauma background, that people pleasing and that need to be liked is a trauma response. It's a way you're trying to keep yourself safe. If you can please the person, if you can make them like you, then you're that much safer. And you've got to remember, I mean, this isn't going to be all situations, but the majority of our adult situations, they don't have that power to hurt you. You're not that little girl stuck with an abusive parent anymore you are an adult. And so if they don't like you, this person that you randomly saw on a bus that you're probably not going to see again, majority of the time, it's not going to result in them hurting you. So not only is it okay, but it's not necessarily a threat. And I'm not going to say that's 100% of the time because there are serial killers and stalkers and other sorts of things like that. And so you're 0.01% that's going to happen. But the majority of the time, just because somebody doesn't like you, not only is it just okay, it's not actually going to hurt you. They're not going to lynch mob you. They're not going to beat you. They're not going to destroy your job or slash your tires or burn your house down. Because that's also one of the things I've had to come to terms with is that I feel like if people don't like me, they are going to actively harm me. They, I have to get them to like me. And so that was where my hang up was. Wasn't like, oh, it's like a val validity thing. I didn't really fucking care if you liked me. I fucking cared that you were going to hurt me. And so I had to manipulate you into liking me so you wouldn't. So keep that in mind, too, for your own health, that if you have been through that trauma background and you're very sensitive to rejection and you're very sensitive to that idea, is that something where you're actually perceiving a threat? And if so, is that an accurate threat assessment? Moving on from that, I think the next thing you also need to do then is plans, right? I mean, you start with, hey, I notice you. You opened your face and said something and the other person said something agreeable back. Now you move forward with it and you do something, <laughs> right? I mean, it doesn't have to be go out to coffee, but maybe it's like, I'll email you. Maybe we do go get a cup of coffee. Maybe it's, we take our dogs on a walk. Maybe we go to a cycling class together. Maybe we go to that quilting group that I didn't fit into. And we silently judge everybody by text over the phone, whatever it is, plans. I mean, you, you do something, you move forward with it. However that looks, and it doesn't have to be an official plan. Yeah. You don't have to set up a date. But even in your own mind, think about moving forward. Because if you're like me or Ivy and you're so used to not, you're just going to be like, oh, well, that was interesting and you're done. So you've got to set up that expectation in your mind that it's going to do something next. Because otherwise, end of story, no sequel. Yeah, and that is one of the things that's uh, been a challenge for me where I currently live because they, they talk about the Seattle freeze. And basically, that's not that people are mean to you here. People are, are generally pretty nice and often outgoing and all of that. But it, this happens all the time where it's like, oh, we should get together sometime. That would be awesome. And then it never happens. So what I have learned here is that you actively have to pursue making plans. So now if it's somebody that I actually am interested in developing a friendship with, if they do that thing where it's like, oh, we should get together sometime. I'm like, okay, but when? Let's exchange phone numbers. Let's uh, let's come up with a tentative plan at least because otherwise this is never going to happen. So sometimes following through and making plans means you actively need to pursue 
that person. And that may not be the case everywhere because when I lived in Oklahoma, I did not have this problem. I lived in Oklahoma for a decade and I ended up with plenty of friends that I'm still very close to that I had to make no effort at all. I've been living here in the Seattle area for almost 10 years and I have made like two friends that I don't see very often because we keep doing that thing where it's like, oh, let's get together. There's only one of them and bless her heart because she is amazing. And she's like, let's go do something. These are the dates I'm available. And I'm like, yes, that is what I need. This is what I need to do with my other friend as well that we just keep saying we'll get together and we never do. So sometimes following through on your interest in another person is actively pursuing making plans, not just saying, let's get together sometime. Sometimes you need to actually make it happen. Make it happen. Um, and then what I really loved is Ivy and I were going through our notes before the show. And the next thing we had noticed in establishing the relationship was invest somehow. And that was all we had. Like, well, that's vague. That sounds like we know what we're talking about. And now that you've had the plan, you should, um, you know, invest in the person. In a way. Yeah. And then autumn... And then Autumn, after she said that seems kind of vague, and she goes, I'm just going to throw that one to you. And I was like, um, okay, but I don't know what we meant by that either. <laughs> I don't know what that really means either. We had to brainstorm in that moment to build on our vague comment about you got to invest somehow we're like okay but what does what does that mean? what does that mean <laughs> we got to tell we got to tell people something we got to do more than just say well invest somehow give some ideas or something i don't fucking know i don't know what that means <laughs> and the first thing i thought of i was like money and autumn was like oh yes yes investing money like buying drinks for people at the bar and i was like yes there we go that's not the kind of investment that came to mind for me but that works at the bottom i'm like Money, do you invest in, if you're a small business owner, do you invest in your business? Do you, do you help them make a mortgage payment? Well, I'm just saying, like, I mean, if you want right. to befriend us and you wish to invest money in our small business, I'm not going to be opposed and I will feel much more friendly toward you. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> no, but, but seriously, like buying drinks for somebody at a bar is an investment. I know it seems kind of ridiculous and it seems, I don't know, cheap or trite or cliched or whatever, but it is something that, that triggered something that came to mind is that when we first moved to town, Jake would go and play pool at the bar and a lot of the people there would buy him drinks. And it wasn't a hitting on him thing. It was how they are friendly to somebody new that they want to interact with. It was a way of being like, hey, I'm interested in talking to you. And he and I actually had to have this discussion of like, why are people buying you drinks? You know, they don't they seem pretty straight, but it's definitely a dude. So we were really confused and we had to figure it out. But that's what it was. And I was like, oh, shit, they're trying to befriend you. And it was like, okay, so did you buy them any? It's like, no, I didn't know what was going on. I'm like, hey, if you see them again, buy them a drink because this is reciprocity. Otherwise, you're just kind of an ass accepting all the drinks. So, I mean, that is one part of it, though, is investing. And that involves all your resources, not just money, but your time, your emotional investment, whatever resources you have investing. And again, that goes to, you know, what relationship is it? What purpose are they serving, so to speak? What is their role in your life? But finding way to invest. Maybe that's sending them a video. Maybe it's taking time to send them an email. Maybe it's listening to them cry or being open and vulnerable to deep to deepen the relationship 
But if you want that relationship to be something more than superficial and to continue on investment, and again, still open to financial investment of different functional, again, putting that up. <laughs> I also find that like, this is kind of like the stuff they talk about with the, the, the languages of love or whatnot. Often the investment that we make is frequently the investment that means the most to us. If I really want to have a relationship with somebody and I really want that connection with them, the most precious investment that I give is my time because I am so greedy with that. So for me, taking time out of my day to text somebody that's a real investment for me. And I know some people are probably thinking, oh my God, that's nothing. And you're kind of an asshole. But that is, to me, that is an investment because it takes me a minute to sit down and think of something that I want to say and have that interaction and to let them know that I care because I often go throughout my day on autopilot and I'm not a super social person. So I don't think to message people. So for me, that's a huge thing. Or if one of my friends is having a problem, even if I'm in the middle of doing something, like I'm in the middle of doing something for you know the, the podcast, or if I'm in the middle of a massage session, obviously I can't step out from that. But as soon as I am out, I call them or I text them or something like that's, to me, that's a big investment. And there's emotional investment in that too, but time is such a precious commodity to me. So you may find that whatever whatever your love language is, whatever is important to you, whatever it is that you are seeking from other people, that may also be the resource that you can provide the biggest investment with as well. And that is a love language to some degree because you are looking to create the support, to create a relationship, even if it is just platonic with somebody else. But it's also what is their love language. And that's not necessarily something you're going to know because like Ivy said, well, a lot of people would think that text is nothing and oh my God, you're an asshole because they don't know how much that takes from her to do that. And I think that goes into the next step of defining the relationship. And now this doesn't have to be something where you sit down and you draw up a friendship contract, but communicating about your communication, about the relationship and being on the same page and developing the expectations. That can be something as simple as Ivy just being like, you know, you won't hear from me a lot, but if you get a text message from me, that really means that I care about you and letting them know that so that they get what that is from her. And also saying, sometimes I just go completely off the map, letting people know that from the beginning. Because if you're starting a new friendship and you're like back and forth, little text messages every day and likes and Facebooks, you're meeting up for coffee. And then all of a sudden for three weeks, they don't hear from you. They're probably going to think you ghosted them because you never let them know, oh, this is a thing I do. I struggle with my mental health. I struggle with these physical issues. I struggle with staying in contact. If I disappear, it's not about you. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll reestablish contact if you're open to that. And it also gives them an option if you're doing this at the beginning to be like, you know, that's not going to work for me. If you're not able to be there consistently, I, I don't know that I can do this. And that's valid because you may not be able to meet their needs just like they may not be able to meet yours. And you don't want to end up causing them harm with your issues or vice versa. So I think communicating about the relationship and starting to define it is really that next piece of this when it's all still fresh. 
I think that the, another really important thing to think about with communication in relationships is that we want to avoid letting things build up before we say something because communication is so valuable in all of these relationships. And a big mistake most people make in communication in general is waiting too long to say something. If something bothers you and then you keep it inside and then stuff piles on top of it. And a lot of times things are misunderstandings too. So it's so important to talk about things as they come up. It doesn't have to be a big thing. A lot of communication is just clearing up potential misunderstandings and setting expectations and being able to accept that relationships are dynamic and they shift over time. And sometimes expectations that worked at one point aren't gonna work the same way later on. And being able to to adapt and grow together and being able to keep those lines of communication open and feeling safe to have those conversations. Because I think one of the reasons why a lot of people do bottle things up, especially with somebody that they care about, is there's that fear that, oh, I'm going to hurt their feelings or they're going to get mad at me. They're going to reject me. This is going to turn into a big fight. They're not going to want me to be involved in their life anymore. And we get all up in our heads about stuff. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we are coming from a genuine space with communication. We're coming from a space of love. We're not being on the on the defensive. We're not accusing them of things. If we're coming from a space of genuine love and trying to understand, if that person is not open to communication, it's really hard to even maintain a relationship with them. And that's something to consider as well, is can I communicate with this person? Do I feel safe communicating with them? And sometimes we have to just push ourselves to have that communication, even if we are a little afraid that they're not going to like us anymore or whatever, because that's part of building trust in a relationship and establishing what communication means for you in that relationship. So if something is bothering you, don't wait until it piles up. Ask, approach them from you know a space of love and just like, with the, with the dear, disappearing act type thing Autumn was talking about, this is something that comes up for me a lot in my relationships. And now I know I need to warn people ahead of time that that happens sometimes. But before, when I was younger, if I would pull a disappearing act, people would assume that I was mad at them. And maybe they wouldn't say anything for a really long time. But then eventually they'd come to me and they'd be like, did I do something that made you mad? Are you angry at me for something? And the answer was always no. Like, no, I didn't really realize how much time had passed since we talked. That's an important factor of communication is being able to put yourself out there and risk the answer that, yeah, maybe I am mad at you and being able to work on those things. And if you literally can't communicate, then that tells you something about the longevity of that relationship or the level of intimacy that you can have in that relationship too. Now, there is something to be said for if you are really fired up calming down before you have that conversation so that you're not all fired up and you're not ext- you know, extremely emotional and angry and all of those things. Wait a little bit until you've calmed down. Think about what it is that you want to say first so that you don't end up saying something that you regret. But that communication is important and you don't want to let things pile up for very long. You want to have those conversations. You want to test to those waters and see how intimate that relationship with that person can become over time, how open they are to communication and what communication looks like between the two of you so you can grow on that level. And I think an important thing to point out with all that too, and we talked about this way back in our um, our matching baggage episode, which focused more on romantic relationships, but I think it applies equally in just 
all relationships is understanding each other's communication style. There are some people that are very direct and there are some people when you are direct, it's considered rude to them. And so know thyself. And if you are somebody that's been through a lot of shit and you've had to know thyself well, you may have to be assisting your friend or your other individual that you're trying to form this relationship in how to do that as well. Because not everybody is well versed in understanding themselves or understanding how they communicate but being aware of that. So maybe the person isn't being direct and you consider they're being passive aggressive, or maybe the person is being direct and you're considering that they're being aggressive. These may be communication differences and you're not actually speaking the same language. Also, once you've got these expectations set up, you need to be willing to meet them. You want to make sure you on your end are following through with them. And if they don't work any longer, talk about changing them. Because like Ivy said, relationships are dynamic. They shift over time. And I think also it's important to realize not everyone is going to stay in your life forever. I mean, that's that's always been the reality that I lived in. Uh, I have never really taken it personally when I've lost contact with people. I mean, unless there's a big fight that precipitates it, but that's not generally how relationships of any kind have ended for me. Usually it's just either like in romantic relationships where there has to be a conversation. It's more of an acknowledgement that this is not working and you go your separate ways. Or in a lot of my friendships that I've had over the years, some people we've just drifted apart and like, we just kind of stopped talking. Like I have somebody here in this state that I used to be really close with. Like we spent almost every second of the day together. We lived together. We were even in a relationship for a period of time. But we have changed so much as people and we've gone in such different directions over the last couple of years. I like never talked to her ever. Like it's, and it's not because I don't like her. It's not because I have anything against her. It's not because I don't love her anymore. It's just, we're just not really on the same page anymore. Not everybody will stay in your life forever. And I always leave myself open too to the possibility that maybe someday she and I will start talking again and we'll strike up a conversation and we'll have all these things in common again. And our life experiences will have brought us back together. Like that one friend of mine that I talked about earlier in the episode that was a childhood friend, like those things happen. And I feel like it is so important to leave those possibilities open and not always take it personally if somebody kind of fades out of your life. These things just happen. Relationships are dynamic. Life is dynamic. Who you are as a person is dynamic. You're going to change and grow. That person's going to change and grow. People will come in and out of your life. Some will stay forever. Like the, the idea that Autumn and I will ever part ways outside of the context of death is just unfathomable to me. I, I leave myself open to the possibility that something might happen and we would drift apart because I always try to have it in my head that that is a potential reality with every relationship that you have, but it's so unlikely at this point. She has literally been in my life since the moment I was born and we are so deeply bonded and we're so close and now we have a business together. Uh, so that seems very unlikely but it's still possible. And I just accept that with, with everybody. And it doesn't have to be a matter of whether or not that person loves you anymore, or you love that other person. There doesn't have to be a resentment. There doesn't have to be anything like that. Just everything in life ebbs and flows. So it's, it's fine. It's okay. If somebody drifts into your life and then they drift out and then they drift back, don't always take it personally 
if it's something that really bothers you, maybe, you know, have that communication, have that, that conversation with them. If you, if you are able to be open to those things, I, f- I find that that flexibility has served me well in my life, being able to allow for things to naturally flow and have people come in and out of my life because we do grow and change so much as people. It's pretty rare for two people's paths to run parallel for a lifetime. It happens, but it's pretty rare. No, I think that's really true. And I think it's applicable to romantic relationships and platonic relationships and even family relationships, all relationships. The the likelihood of you both growing in the exact same direction at the exact same rate is just, it, it's really, really, really rare, like Ivy said. And if you choose to take that relationship and maintain it no matter what, that is often going to have to mean a compromise for your growth or their growth or both of your growth because you're going to be limited in how far you can change or how far you can shift. And that may be a a choice you've made. You know, if it is a relationship with a, a childhood friend or a family member and it may be something like, you know what, I will compromise and I will change to maintain this, that is an option. But keep that in mind. If it's not, do you really want to keep that person from growing? Do you want to keep yourself from growing? Wouldn't it be better to part ways for a little bit? And it's also possible, too, that you can maintain a connection with somebody over the course of your lifetime and never completely part ways. But maybe the, the type of relationship that you have shifts and changes. Maybe the types of things that you talk about shifts and changes over time. Because there are friends that I've had for a really long time that, you know, it, it's the, the type of relationship that we have has shifted Maybe I don't talk to them about my relationship problems, or maybe I don't talk to them about work problems or whatever, because where we're at in our lives, those areas don't mesh anymore. So like if I'm in a space in my life where I'm really happy in my relationship and I have a friend who's really having a hard time in their relationship and everything's catastrophic or whatever, I generally won't talk to that person about my relationship because partially I'm like, you are in a vulnerable space when it comes to relationships. And I don't want to be, you know, effusive about how amazing my love life is when you're having a hard time. So there's, there's shifts and changes that happen there too. There, that's definitely been one that, that I've encountered in a lot of my relationships based on how good or bad our individual love lives are, or how good or bad our work lives are or whatever. There are certain topics that I may avoid with that friend for a while because I'm not in a space to hear about that part of their life or they're not in a space to hear about that part of my life. And it's not always, it's not necessarily a jealousy thing. It's just being able to look at where this person is at and like you are in a vulnerable space or I am in a vulnerable space and this is not something I can discuss right now. So you can keep connections with people for an entire lifetime possibly and not part ways with them, but still be growing and changing individually. You just may avoid certain topics or focus on different things or do certain activities together that you maybe didn't do before or whatever. Like there are other ways to to adapt to changes in a relationship that don't include parting ways completely. I think that's really, really true. And I mean, even I'll speak to this personally for me and Ivy. I was there ever since she was born. And, you know, we were forged in the fire of trauma to be all dramatic. But her and I haven't always been this close. 
I mean, not by a long shot. We've had close periods. We've had long periods. There's been times in our life where it's been months and her and I haven't even talked to each other, just how it goes. And then we'd reconnect and our life paths would meet again. There were points at which I didn't talk to Ivy because I have anything in common with her. The, the point that I was at in my life did not mesh with the point that she was at in her life. And it didn't work talking because there was nothing to talk about. And it doesn't mean I didn't love her and it didn't mean I wrote her off and it didn't mean I was all like, well, I don't like you anymore. It was just, that's where she's at right now. And that's where I'm at right now. And we both knew because we'd established it way long ago that if anything changes, if you need anything, I'm here. And even during those periods where we weren't very close, if anything went down with one or the other of us, we were right there. You know, did your car break down and you've got no money and now you're going to end up homeless because you can't go to your job? Here's a grand. This is all I can do for you right now. But what do you need? Are you homeless? Do you need a place to live? I have a friend that can take you in. And we've been there for each other, even when we haven't been close. We've we've woven in and out. And I would say this is probably a very, very, quote unquote, close relationship. And it's been a lifetime relationship for Ivy and pretty much a lifetime for me. But it's not always intertwined. It hasn't been that way. And that's totally fine. Yeah. And I, I think that is an important aspect of being able to have that openness in your relationships and have like you can reach a level of intimacy with somebody where it's fine to have those periods of time like Autumn and I have had where we don't have anything in common, but we're still a we're still a touchstone in each other's lives. You're still in a lot of ways, Autumn is still home base for me. And it's possible to have that in lots of different types of relationships, not just family ones, that yucky word we don't like. <laughs> but Autumn is not necessarily that that home base for me because we grew up in the same home together and we trauma bonded together as sisters. She is that home base for me because above and beyond all else, we have been incredibly loyal to each other and we've always been a safe place that the other person can run to, whether we had things in common or not. And sometimes we've been closer and sometimes we've been more distant. And that's never changed the amount of love that we have for each other. And it's never changed that we are there for each other. And I have had that those kinds of relationships with a lot of people in my life. I have a friend right now that... I have been incredibly close to in the past. And then she dropped off the map for months, maybe even close to a year. Yeah, I think it's probably closer to a year. And she contacted me recently because things in her life went a little crazy and started falling apart and she needed some support. And she was so apologetic that she hadn't reached out before. And it was like, no, no, don't apologize. It's fine. Like these things happen. You need me now. And that's all I care about. You can have those kinds of relationships with people just because you don't talk every day, just because you don't have much in common right now, just because you're not super close right now, you don't live in the same area, whatever, you're not in the same place in life. That doesn't mean that that person stops being important. And it doesn't mean that that relationship is gone forever. And it doesn't mean that you can't at least check in with each other from time to time just to be like, hey, I still see you. I still like you. Do you matter to me? <laughs> That's totally acceptable. And if you were interested by any chance in Ivy and I, our actual support networks and what those look like, um, please support us on Patreon and we'll have a little extra content up there that will tell you about our personal support networks and what that actually looks like as a tie-in with today's episode. But for now, that is pretty much, I think, everything 
and more than what I actually know about making relationships and developing a support network. Did you have any other things that you've been hiding from me and refusing to share with the group, Ivy? No, no, I don't think so. Some of these things I definitely know to be true. And then other things I'm like, maybe this would work. (laughs) Some things are just spitballing it. We're all learning together. If you have suggestions, write in. By all means, comment, you know, find us on social media, email us, find us on our uh, on our website. So email is differentfunctional at gmail.com, our website, www.differentfunctional.com. And you can get us on the contact form. But if you have ideas, if you have like tried and true methods to build connections that aren't scary and terrifying or whatever, or even if they are scary and terrifying, sure. Share those too. If you if you found something that works for you, we want to know. We're curious as well. Not only we're curious, but I think a lot of people that listen to this will be curious too. There's a lot of neurodivergent people out there, and I think even neurotypical people that find it hard to really develop a good support system, to find a good friend. So don't just share with us. Be willing to share with our entire community and our entire listening audience. You know, make that public post. Um, so for today, that is it. We will go ahead and wrap up. Thank you all for listening. And as remember, as remember, as always, remember, different does not mean defective. (laughs)